All right. Yep. Let's let's get going. Okay, everyone. So today, what we're going to be doing is working on um, the the stuff we have to catch up with, which is uh, Kabuki Theater and the Beijing or Peking Opera. Um, we'll start with uh, Kabuki. We were supposed to do this last Friday, but we ran out of time. Um, Kabuki and No are different different art forms, and probably trying to get them in, in the same day was, was going to be uh, far too difficult. I'll say with the last class, we didn't get to do a full treatment of the, the Beijing Opera, so we put some of that till, till Monday's class. Um, but that being said, we'll, we'll try and get as much in as we can. So as we're starting up here, are there any questions about anything? Um, we're doing uh, Bookner next week. So he, he's posted. Take a look at Bookner. Uh, any questions about anything else? Okay, great. So let's get into it. We're going to do, we're going to start off with Kabuki here. Okay, so initially samurai were the warrior class, but what you're seeing at this point is that um, after a few generations, they become part of the upper class. They become part of the bureaucracy of the Japanese court. And so when samurai start coming to this, these uh, these kabuki things, it, it begins to become a problem. It becomes a problem for the court and for the upper classes because now you're leading astray these these valuable members of society. Um, and what ends up happening in these kabuki spaces is a lot of things uh, seen as products of the red light districts in which kabuki really was beginning to get a foothold. Um, namely prostitution. So you had women on stage in an art form developed by women, and the the fear and there might there might be legitimate uh, legitimate prostitutes working on stage. There might not be. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I do know people were worried that there were prostitutes on stage, and there was a concern that people were be were being led astray by these prostitutes, uh, including the, the members of the samurai class. And so they were outlawed in 1629. Um, Kabuki had this reputation for being this kind of, um, this kind of scary space. Uh, it was moved from the streets to the red light district known as Ikiyu, which I believe was, it translates to floating world. And I think part of that is it was on the on the water, uh, but also uh, on the water, like close to, to the do docking area, but also floating world, like this is a world of, of sort of sin and ill repute, this sort of a hazy world. Um, and the Ikkyo was where Kabuki developed and found its form. And it was, it was here because it was considered like really bad news. It was considered a sinful place, a corrupt place. Um, and women's roles, after they were they were outlawed, they were taken by young boys 
who also started to work as prostitutes. Um, <laughs> and so now that the women couldn't be prostitutes or the women's, um, the women's means of advertising themselves were, were shot down, then the young boys started prostituting themselves. This, of course, the authorities responded to. They started um, enforcing haircuts, specific haircuts, so that people would look less sexy. Um, uh, you know, so like you'd be able to tell it was a man because they would they would cut, I believe, like little bald spots in the center. However, people started wearing purple ribbons there in order that you, uh, in order to cover that spot up. And what ended up happening was the purple ribbon becomes kind of a, a signifier of um, of sexuality and sexual access because it's you know it's designed to cover up the thing that's designed to scare away people from. Uh, uh, f people away from sexually engage engagement. Uh, and so ironically enough, all of these methods to kind of block sexual activity become themselves uh, signifiers of sexual activity. Yeah. Here is, you can see a Kabuki theater here. This is a later Kabuki performance. I'm, I'm not sure which theater this is or if this theater is is 19th century only or older, but you could see kind of the layout here. Um, but anyway, so prostitution still concerns everyone. So 1652, young boys were banned from the Kabuki stage. So you had to be an adult. Um, during the Genroku period, uh, which a period I don't know very much about, uh, Kabuki thrived and the form solidified, uh, solidified. So we're now moving from a an area of... Um, of a form that's kind of generating, that's built off reputation, a form that is um, that is nascent, that is liquid, that's trying to find its place, that's having to deal with, with the authorities, right, with law authorities, changing what can be done and can't be done on stage. And by 1673, what we start to see is um, people beginning to write for kabuki theater. And once you have playwrights and the profession of playwright, then that sort of results in more legitimacy for the form, but also uh, it, it solidifies kabuki as a form, as opposed to um, the building you go into to see the fun shows, right? Or, or to see the, you know, attractive young boys if you're, if you're a samurai. Um, now it is a a recognizable form, much in the way No was. Uh, the first major playwright in Japanese history, known as the Shakespeare of Japan, uh, Shiki Matsu. Um, initially, he was writing for what was known as the Bunraku stage. Uh, Bunraku is a type of uh, puppet theater in which three puppeteers maneuver a, a four-foot puppet. Um, so initially, he wrote for the Bunraku stage, and then he started to write for Kabuki, um, and, and he began to develop there. And we're going to go into him in a, in a second, um, but that is part of this, this sort of legitimizing and solidifying, because now you're writing plays, you are expecting or developing a form within which to work, and therefore the play begins to adopt this form. Uh, but still, the history of Kabuki involves governmental involvement in 1840. The Edo government tore down Kabuki buildings and kind of pushed them into the margins of the cities in which they're in. Um, 
But in the 20th century, what you end up seeing, 20th and 21st, is a um, is a, a reverence for kabuki, seeing it as a classical type of theater, seeing it as the heritage of Japan and not something on the margins of Japan. And so that's, that is a very interesting thing. And it mirrors our conversation about the development of theater in Elizabethan England. And I don't know if anybody remembers this, um, but in Elizabethan England, theater was seen as, as really bad news. It's going to attract low lives. It's going to spread plague. Everybody's going to go there and get plague. Um, and so it was illegal to build outdoor theaters in London in the city of London proper. And so all of the major theaters, the Rose, the Curtain, the Theater, the Globe, they were all built on the outskirts of London, kind of surrounding it. Um, because it was seen as this kind of uh, marginal activity. Um, this ends up happening because actors moving from place to place is outlawed in the 1570s in, in Elizabethan England. And so you start to see the establishment of kind of more formal settings on the outskirts of London because um, of legal restrictions placed upon actors who are marginalized, but in so doing, develop a kind of form, develop their art. And then hundreds of years later, who is at the center of um, English heritage? It's Shakespeare, the person who was, you know, <laughs> working on, on the literal margins of the city of London. A similar phenomena is happening in Kabuki and now kabuki is revered with no as being part of Japanese heritage, even though their, their origins are very different. Um, so here we have kind of performance styles, get a little more into the play. So kabuki uh, would host a number of plays, like a kabuki event would host a number of plays. They could last up to 12 hours in length. There was a law, I believe, passed around, I think around 1800 which restricted it to eight hours. So that even that was interfered with. Um, and so you have a number of kabuki genres that are, that are put together. So you have the Jidai Mono. Um, these are plays with battles and samurais. Here's a picture of one right there, kind of a, a depiction of one. You also have uh, Shosagotu, which is a comic dance, and Siwa Mono, which is a domestic drama drawn from the newspapers. And the this this fellow here, Chikamatsu, um, he was very, very famous for his domestic dramas, especially. And and he actually got in tr trouble for them, as, as we're going to see. Um, but that became very, very popular. And also one thing, another thing that sets it apart from No, is that you're beginning to see plays that are dealing with the the modern city life. Um, initially, though, uh, plays were not written down. What you'd have is a play like this, or plays about samurai. You'd have actors who knew their role, um, and they were free to improvise. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, kabuki predates kabuki plays. Okay. Um, Here's authors and plays. Uh, here's, oh, here's a picture of Bunraku. And you could see these are puppets. These three, these three figures are, are puppets. And the figures in black are the puppeteers. And you can see in this front puppet, you could actually see three. It's kind of hard to see this guy here. Um, 
three puppeteers. And um, what, what would happen with Bunraku is one puppet puppeteer, the, the lowest guy on the totem pole, would control the feet, one would control one arm, and then the, the last, the most developed puppeteer would control the head and the other arm. And so you would spend 10 years as the feet guy, then you would move up to, I think it's the left or the right arm, and then 10 years after that, you would move up to manipulating the head. And so Bunraku is uh, also developed, I believe, in Osaka and was very popular. And a lot of people writing for Kabuki were writing for Bunraku. Um, The the plays are kind of similar in plot. But here's an example of that. Um, And you could see here, uh, there's actually a name for this, Gidayo Kogen, which were plays originally written for Bunraku and transferred to Kabuki. Um, When they moved to Kabuki... There's there's musicians in, in Kabuki, um, but these actors kind of had to move on a beat. So a lot of times it, it was a little more um, a r- little more rhythmically strict. Um, Jun Kabuki is just plays written directly for Kabuki. Not they didn't go through the Bunraku thing. Um, and then Shin Kabuki were plays influenced by Europe. So at, you know th- these plays are older by this point they're older than some of the plays we're going to actually be doing in this class but um but they are kind of considered the most modern of the kabuki types um, i don't honestly know that much about them um but they are the idea is that kind of they they're written after um the opening of japan in the 1850s and 1860s Okay, performance style. So despite being a ribald, uh, lowbrow, red-light district art form, Kabuki still required (coughs) a lot of discipline. And um, one such discipline, uh, and this discipline is similar to that we saw with No. Actors would start at age six or seven, um, but did not hit maturity as a performer until age 40. so you basically would be training your whole life. Uh, you Obviously, you couldn't go on stage until you were an adult because of, because of laws, but you would train as a child. Uh, and it was, it was considered that you were not a master until you trained for decades. Um, they were social outcasts, as I mentioned before, but one of the nice things about being a social outcast is you're really, really cool. Uh, you know, you're kind of the bad boy, and and that's exactly what happened. And so, there, the kabuki performers would develop what's called kata, which is these per- personal styles, how they dressed, uh, how they wore their hair, etc. And they became kind of famous for that. It it seems similar to like a rock star or a pop star, like Michael Jackson with his one glove. He becomes famous for that. The 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 kabuki actors um, use their outsider status to kind of cultivate cool. Uh, and with that, kabuki actors um, would develop stage names and stage personas that were passed down from generation to generation. Uh, the stage name differed from the real name, and they would adopt it and, and still do adopt it. This is still going on today in a, a public ceremony, a public naming ceremony where you would be named, you know, what the name you would took. The name you took. And one of the most famous kabuki actors, the, the, the guy who established the romantic lead, uh, Sakiyata Tojoro, 
um, people are still performing, or this one guy is um, Sakyata de Jura the Fourth is still performing under that name even today. And you can see the original was um, was had started um, well. He wasn't performing in 1646. He was born in 1646, but he started performing in the in the 1670s. Um, and uh, he was a major innovator in developing kabuki, especially kind of the, the romantic elements of kabuki. And his students would then adopt his name, as you could see here. And for a while, the name was out of circulation until Nakamura, this this actor, took on the name. Um, in order to kind of renew the lineage. And so you have here an inheritance, not based on biology, but based on artistic similarity. Um, and that's, he's still, as far as I know, Sakiyata de Joro IV is still performing today. Um, <coughs> which I think is pretty cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, anyway, so character types are also very interesting, and there's certain set character types. Um, onagata are the the male actors who play females on and off stage. So the, the type is the, the female role, and they're always played by male actors. Now, this the most famous um, onagata of her day, of the 17th century, was, or his day, I don't know, with those regards. But anyway, his or her day was uh, Yoshizawa. And you can see here Yoshizawa the first because there is a number of Yoshizawas that, that inherited this name. Um, and what Yoshizawa said was um, male performers in an onakata position should live off stage as women. And so Yoshizawa did. He, li you know, he or she lived off stage as a woman um, in day-to-day -day activity and that became kind of a, a thing in order to better perform as a woman uh, and so if you look at like if you type in kabuki into like the the yukon library search engine a lot of times there's there the top the top things the top um <coughs> excuse me the top search results will be for onagata and a lot of kind of like queer study stuff in the English language, thankfully, on on this character type. Um, takiyaku, which we talked about, I think, already, the brave hero type. Katikakyo, uh, katakiyaku is the, the mean villain. And then we had uh, children's roles, not, not played by children, but the, the character type of a child. Um, and Saka... Sakata Tajoro, who we mentioned already, he became the first really famous male romantic lead. Um, here's the brave hero type. Face makeup was a big part of Kabuki. You could see here um, different different types of uh, different types of characters. It looks like the red lines usually were human. If you're entirely red, you were a demon yellow or ghosts, but the, the colors themselves had, <coughs> um, they, they meant something. All right. Now costumes, costumes were very elaborate. They could weigh up to 50 pounds. So you'd be carrying around a lot of, um, <coughs> you'd be carrying around a lot of fabric. Um, in Onagata, 
might have to wear up to 12 kimonos per performance. So you'd be, some of them you'd be changing, you'd be changing in and out of kimonos. Um, but you would be constantly coming on in each scene with a new kimono. That was part of it. It was very um, luxurious in that sense. Uh, here's some more stuff on Chikamatsu. Um, first, he was the most famous of the Kabuki and Bunraku playwrights. He really soared to success with his puppet play, The Soga Successors. Um, he helped establish the romantic type with uh, Sakata. And in 1705, he became a staff playwright to a kabuki theater. Um, he was most famous for his love suicide plays. And what those are are exactly what they sound like. There's one famous kabuki play he wrote in which the um, what ends up happening is a young man who is working in a, a soy sauce factory, he wants to marry this woman, but he found out his uncle has secretly engaged him to the daughter of the person who owns the soy sauce factory. And he doesn't want to do that, obviously, uh, so he ends up <coughs> um, arranging to get the dowry back that was paid for his family. Um, but he ends up lending the dowry to his friend because, you know, he does. And um, the friend, obviously, you know what happens, right? He loses the money. Um, now he is forced to marry the daughter of the soy sauce factory guy. Um, however, before he does, he runs away. He secretly marries the woman of his dreams. Uh, they then tie themselves to a tree and then commit suicide. And it was a big, big hit. Now, of course, because this is Kabuki, the authorities got involved. They were very worried about, um, yeah, here is the love suicide set. Sonizaki, that's, this is the play I'm talking about, uh, the picture on the left. But So the authorities were very, very concerned that suicides are going to spike. They claimed that there was, um, a, a, became very popular to commit suicide in the way of, um, in the way of that play, because that play was so popular. Um, people said the same thing about uh, Goethe too. Goethe has a book, um, The Sorrows of Young Goethe, which, Werther, which has, uh, <coughs> the main character commits suicide because he's in love and I I guess not very bright also and apparently there was a concern in Germany that people were just going to be killing themselves left and right um, and it's a, it, look, it looks exactly the same when you read about it in, in this kabuki history um, and so uh, what ended up happening was they end up outlawing love suicide plays, and so that got that gets panned. Uh, here is another kabuki play um, by Shikamatsu. I, I don't know this one. Uh, I just really like the picture because you could see the the sort of pose there. And actually, actors would do this. Actors would, in order to demonstrate who their character was, they would take a pose. And just stand in that pose. And that was that character's pose. And that meant, I am this character now, posing. And they would do that on the bridge, usually. So, here's an example of that. And you can see also, uh, Komazo, he is inheriting this name, because he is Komazo the Seventh. All right. 
getting into the stage of kabuki, the stage looks somewhat similar to to no, but there's major differences. So the hanamichi, which we've we've seen before, it's the flower bridge. Um, that is the entrance path that ran to. The, but but un, unlike no, where the um, the hanamichi was. Uh, was stage right and led on and was from the back of the house. The Hanam, what the, the Kabuki people realized were the, the initial early Kabuki innovators realized where if you put the, the Hanamichi in between the audience, um, like in an, in the way an aisle would, but have it raised, uh, you could have your actors walking down in front of the audience and the audience could see the actors up close. And apparently this, this was wild. <laughs> the, the, um, the people of uh, 17th century Japan loved this. Uh, they were very excited that the Hanamichi had been moved to the aisle. And apparently if you could throw, like if you were um, one of these actors, you know, if you were playing a female role and you threw a garment to the audience, there could be like fights over who, who takes the garment. And so this audience involvement that moving the Hanamichi from the back of the house to the front of the house um, resulted in was very, very popular. And you could see it here, right? You could see in this picture the, um, the two actors walking down the Hanamichi and they're between audience members. Sometimes the Hanamichi is like right in, right in here, right in the middle. Sometimes it's on the sides here. You'll see two on the sides. There's a few varieties of it. Uh, other things. So one, one thing to remember when looking at stage elements and stage design is that these people, unlike the no actors, did not have patrons. Right? We learned that no developed because the father and son had the, the early shogun patron. The authorities don't like kabuki. They're actively against kabuki. So like Shakespeare um, and like the Elizabethans, kabuki has to earn an audience in order to stay afloat. And so they start developing Japan's first special effects. What that includes is the Mawari Butai, which is the revolving stage. Apparently it was not invented by Brecht. Invented by Brecht in the West, but the Japanese beat him by by 200 years. Um, 200, 300 years, 300 years, yeah, that's right. Math is fun. Uh, 300 years. And so you had a revolving stage. You could see see the outline right there, right on the picture. Um, you had Siri, which were these uh, like elevator platforms that could be lowered so an actor can kind of disappear. I don't know how fast they were, but that was the idea. The effect was the actor lowered and vanished. And then um, later on, you had the Kunori, which were these um, wires in which the actor can then fly out, right? You could fly out an actor with wires. Um, yeah, and so these were these were developed because uh, <coughs> you you know you needed an audience. You really need to make them excited, and so you have your your sexy actors walking in front of the audience, um, get them real close, and then when they get on stage, have special effects, right? Have actors fly in the air. Why not? Um, in terms of uh, in terms of the set, though, the set was more minimal. It wasn't a big set. It was, it was similar to No in that way. And the elements of the set, 
you would either have them moved off because they would fit in a wagon, which you could see here, and then somebody would wheel the wagon off, or you would have the uh, Kuroku, who were these stagehands dressed in all black who would take things on and off. And apparently audiences got used to seeing the, the Kiroku running running around. Um, and here, you can see some scenes and some parts of it uh, occurred, uh, of the play that is, occurred on the flower bridge, as you can see in this picture. Um, often, I th often like the poses, as I mentioned before, where the character would pose to represent, uh, the, the actor would pose to represent his character, that would also happen on the, the flower bridge. Um, and so there's also a particular... Uh, philosophy for the structure of the play and the pacing of the play that you could see here uh q the philosophy of the pacing of the play um and it should start slow which is the jo part ha means references the build up and kyo re references references the fast ending and so the play just gets faster and faster and faster this philosophy is filtered through five acts um, and there's some repetition here. The third act usually contains a tragedy. In the fourth act, we get a battle. And then we have an incredibly short last act to wrap everything up. And so unlike the Aristotelian design of plays in which we move to the denouement, there's a shift and then there's downward action to a conclusion. Um, what we have here in, um, in Kabuki is the train just keeps moving faster and faster. We don't move to a, we don't move to the denoma, we blow past it and keep going. Okay. And that is that, all right, good. So I also wanted to show a brief video of, we have like 13 minutes. I don't know how much Beijing opera we're gonna take a look at, but we, um, I do want to show, one second, a video of kind of kabuki, just to get get it into your, your skin a little bit, um, just to see what it looks like. So let me, let me do that. Oops. traditional theatre form, which originated in the Edo period at the beginning of the 17th century, and was particularly popular among townspeople. After 1868, when Japan opened up to Western influences, actors strove to heighten the reputation of kabuki among the upper classes and to adapt the traditional styles to modern tastes. Today, kabuki is the most popular of the traditional styles of Japanese drama. Oh. 
important characteristics of kabuki theatre include its particular music, costumes, stage devices and props, as well as specific plays, language and acting styles, such as the mi, in which the actor holds a characteristic pose to establish his character. Originally, both men and women acted in kabuki plays, but eventually only male actors performed the plays, a tradition that has remained to the present day. Male actors who specialize in women's roles are called onagata. Two other major role types are aragoto, rough style, and wagoto, soft style. Actors speak in a monotone voice and are accompanied by traditional instruments. Kabuki plays are about historical events and moral conflict in affairs of the heart. The Kabuki stage is equipped with several devices such as revolving stages and trapdoors, through which the actors may appear and disappear. Another speciality of the kabuki stage is a footbridge, hanamichi, that extends into the audience. Keshi, the special makeup, provides an element of style that is easily recognizable, even by those unfamiliar with the art form. Okay. All right. Um, am I back? Yes. Okay. Good. So, um, any questions or comments about that? Has anybody seen uh, Kabuki before or or Bunraku or no or anything like that or is this uh, kind of first first experience with this this is my first experience with all of this okay good same here all right 
Good, yeah. Well, the the, the kind of the intention here isn't um, necessarily like a deep dive. I mean, it isn't a, a deep dive into, a, you know, all these different, th this culture or, or different cultures, um, but sort of a presentation of what else is going on in the world, uh, you know, kind of a brief presentation. Um, what's very important about these traditions, and we'll see with, with Balinese theater also, is that these are far more performance performance traditions than literary traditions, even though you do have, you know, uh, codified literature put down. Um, and so it's it's always good to, always good, or at least fun, or at least enjoyable, to kind of survey these different performance traditions and, and how they came about. Um, you know, and, and eventually what you start to see in the, the Romantic era, um, or excuse me, not the Romantic era, but in the modern era is, um, is, East and West sort of touching each other, and you start to see influences of, um, you know, Javanese, for example, Javanese music coming in to the West um, through someone like uh, Maurice Ravel, who ends up writing music, Western music, but music inspired by uh, by stuff he's heard from from Indonesia, um, and so. It, yeah, it's interesting to see at what point some of this comes in. Um, we were going to do Beijing Opera, but we have five minutes and it's not enough time. What you'll see with the Beijing Opera is a a play called The Chalk Circle, which um, Brecht, who we talked about in an earlier class, ended up adopting. So there's a lot of points of contact in the 20th century between these plays, but also I think these kind of performance traditions are, are cool within themselves. Um, if we have the time, it's always fun to, to try and learn about a new performance tradition. Um, great. My thought, because the next section of this is going to take more than five minutes, and uh, or more than four minutes, definitely, and it is Friday, is that we can finish up right now. Um, does anybody have any questions? If not, we can, uh, questions or comments. If not, I'm going to say, let's call it now and I'll stay on the, this, this chat. If anybody has any questions, if not, you're free to go. Okay, have a good weekend. Thank, Thank you too. Thank you. Happy Thank Halloween. You. Oh yes. Happy Halloween. <laughs>